Five Lies of the Devil, part five. If you're in-house, take out your bulletins. It looks like this. In the bulletins, it's going to have a note page, and it looks like this, and we want you to fill in the blanks and follow along with us. We're talking about purpose today. Somebody say purpose. purpose. Because the fifth and final lie that I want to talk about tackles the idea of purpose. The idea that Satan lies to us on a regular basis uh, is what we've been talking about in this series. And I've talked about five lies, but there's un untold numbers of lies that Satan attacks us with. So please don't think that this is it. But we are talking about the generalities. And I think this is a big one today. Here's the lie. There's no point to your life. There's no purpose to your life. And this is a big one for our community, for our generation. Amazingly, uh, in spite of all the technological advancements, in spite of all the amazing ways that we can enjoy our lives today, uh, in spite of all that we have going for us, people are experiencing a sense where there's no real purpose to their lives. Consequently, they turn to alcohol, they turn to drugs. You've got, you have all heard about the opioid crisis. It is enormous. Um, people are not just turning to drugs and opioids, they are turning to suicide. And this is, this is a, an astonishing um, reality in our culture, because we should be happy, but we're not. We should be living life to the fullest, but we're not. And, and I wonder who here today, that's you. Or maybe you were there, or maybe you're gonna be there. And here's the lie that the devil wants to, I think, drill into your life. And listen, you can be a Christian and you can go to church and still hear this lie. There's no point to your life. No purpose. Here's a, here's a synonym lie for it. Why don't you just go ahead and kill yourself? Why don't you just end it? You know, nobody's actually going to miss you. And I, I wonder how many of you, you've heard that lie. A couple of weeks ago, I actually had a, a gentleman come to me. He's been in our church for many weeks, many years, not weeks, many years. And he met me over there. And, I, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, a couple of weeks ago, your message saved my life. He had made a plan to kill himself. He was ready to do it. Someone was listening to the message, thought of him, called him up the day of, and talked him out of it. Saved his life, let him, knew, let him know that he mattered to God and to that person, and I saw him here at church this past Thursday, and he's been coming ever since, and God has reclaimed his life for purpose. That's beautiful. But it just kind of highlights the necessity of speaking this word over you. I want you to leave here with a sense that you're not an accident, that, that you're not an afterthought. I, I don't know what you're struggling with right now. Maybe it's a professional struggle. Maybe it's a personal struggle. Maybe it's a, a, a struggle with your looks or your size or your shape or the, the, the year 2020 is off to a terrible start for you. But we're here to punch that lie in the face, tell the devil he's a liar and let you know that you are loved and you are created for a divine purpose by your Father in heaven who loves you. And that goes for you on television and online as well. Here's, 
Here's where we're going. We're going to Luke chapter 13. If you got your Bibles or a smartphone Bible, I would invite you to open up. We're going to get there in a moment. But I want you to fill in a blank in the notes first, a couple of blanks. The, 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 the problem that I want to identify is that if the devil can't get you to sin, he will get you to succeed in things that do not matter. He'll, he'll get you to succeed in making a lot of money, but making a lot of money is not a purpose. It's a plan, it's not a purpose. He'll get you to succeed at making a lot of friends. Again, that's a plan, that's not a purpose. Sometimes we have to learn the difference between a plan and a purpose. Could you do this for me? It's not on your nose, there's no blanks. Just right at the top, plan, and on the, on the right side, the top, purpose. And can you just strike out the word plan? You gotta learn to live for purpose and not just a plan. So many people live with a plan. I wanna get married, that's a plan. Do you understand what the purpose of marriage is? So I won't be alone, nope. <laughs> There's a lot of lonely people who are married. I wanna have kids, Yo, that's a plan. You know the purpose of having kids. I wanna, I wanna have a, a successful career. Wonderful. Nothing wrong with our plans, but do we understand that, that in all things, for God's people, there's something more significant than just getting things, having things, producing things, and accomplishing things. God wants you to live with an, an incredible sense that your life is, is made for something far more significant than just breathing oxygen and getting stuff. Amen. Okay, so Luke chapter 13, let's go there and let's stand together for the reading of God's word. We do this almost every week because we stand in respect for God's word. When we read this book, we're not reading the words of man, we are reading the very words of the living God. Amen? Amen. Luke, 10, thir uh, Luke 13, verse 10. Now he, that is Jesus, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who had a disabling spirit. Could you say those two words on the count of three, disabling spirit? One, two, three. And she had this disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. She was bent over and she could not straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed. Can you say freed? freed. Okay, freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which your work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed. What a jerk. <laughs> That's not in the text. I put that in, just, just so you know. Okay, and uh, he says, and not on the Sabbath, not on the Sabbath day. So the Lord then answered him, you hypocrites. By the way, when anybody ever calls Christians hypocrites, they got that idea from Jesus. He's the one that invented the term religious hypocrisy. He is. He really is. You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound, notice the words, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. 
He said, therefore, we can't stop there. We have to move forward. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? To what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew, and it became a tree, and the birds of the air made, its nest, made nests in its branches. And he said again, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. By the way, just so many things that, that Jesus is doing for women in this passage. Jesus is the first feminist like the first true feminist, like a good feminist. Like he's not a weird feminist, okay? He's a good one. He wants to uplift and establish women in the house of God. Isn't that good? The church is here to do that as well, carrying on the mission of Jesus. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you speak to us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. And I pray that people will not hear the words of men, they'll hear the words of God today. Father, for that purposeless person in our midst or online or on television, I pray you speak straight to their heart and help them to see who they are by seeing Jesus. In his mighty name we pray and everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. One of the greatest nonfiction books written in history, in history, it's called The Purpose Driven Life. I highly recommend it. Written by Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church out in Lake Forest, California, other end of the country. On the, on the cover of that book, there is a tree. The tree is, is a symbol of purpose, and I just I think about how important it is to understand that if trees are made for a purpose, you're made for a purpose. And I think that there is this hunger and this thirst. This is why it became the probably, I think it is the best-selling nonfiction book in American history, um, there is a hunger and a plea in the human heart for purpose. We want to live for something that is bigger than ourselves, because if we don't, the results are, are cataclysmic. So I, I want to give you three uh, problems with living disconnected from your purpose. Three problems. When you are disconnected from your purpose, number one, possessions become your preoccupation. People become your competition, and nothing can give you satisfaction. So uh, possessions, fill this in so that you have it for later. When you don't have a purpose, your possessions become your preoccupation. I want to get that. I want to have this. I want to be in this kind of neighborhood. I want to have this kind of husband or wife. I want to have these kind of children. And you are preoccupied with your possessions rather than the purpose of those possessions. Because what if God gives you a spouse that you didn't want? And you say, that's not going to happen because I'm going to make sure I pick the right one. <laughs> you know that you actually don't date your spouse, right? You date their representative. You date the person that they want you to think they are. Then you go to the altar. You basically pretend like you're promising these things to each other. Then you walk away from the altar, everybody claps and shakes your hand and says congratulations, even though you've done nothing yet, except said some words. Then you go on the honeymoon, or at least maybe a year later, you go on the honeymoon, the new trajectory is whatever. Whenever we have money, we'll go on a honeymoon. And then you come back, and then you meet them. <laughs> and all the married people said, amen, pastor. Okay. So the plan, the purpose, 
The plan to get married. Well, what's the purpose? Okay, people can become your competition. What do I mean? This is where envy comes in. If you're always dissatisfied with the life that somebody else is having, it might be because you don't understand the life that God wants you to have. So you're obsessed with the rat race. I need to keep up with the Joneses. I need to get the education that they have. I need to have the life that they have. I need to look at what they're doing on social media and go out and do it because they're doing it on social media because obviously they're so happy doing what they're doing. Maybe if I go and do what they're doing, I'll be happy. No, that's just competition. Rather than living for somebody else's life, why don't you live God's life for you? Third, nothing can give you satisfaction. In the words of the great theologian Mick Jagger, I can't get no satisfaction. So you've got to understand that no matter, no matter what you have, it won't satisfy. I think about a guy named Timothy Kim. Timothy Kim, who I've mentioned to you before. Uh, he is the son of missionaries from Korea who went to Hungary. His parents uh, brought him to the mission field in Hungary from Korea, South Korea. And he was there his whole uh, teenage life. He moved to America at the age of 19 with $500 in his pocket. He basically shed you know, the, the religious, you know, upbringing, the Christian thing. He didn't, he didn't want to do that. He wanted to make a lot of money. He came to America saying, I want to be a millionaire. And with $500, he started to invest in the market. And by the time he was 31, he had amassed over uh, $1 million in investments. So he runs an investment page, a website called tubofcash.com. Don't go there now. Okay, but he basically blogs about his life's journey and he realizes that he had made making a million dollars his plan and once he got it, he suddenly woke up to the fact that he had no purpose. See, if you make something or someone your plan, life will play a cruel joke on you and give it to you. And then you won't know what to do with it or after that. You, you, you see, you've got to know what to do with it. When you know what to do with what you get or what you have, what you have and what you get becomes irrelevant because you, are, you understand that it's more than the acquiring of the thing. It's more than the gathering of the money. It's more than the accomplishing of the marriage or the having children or the white picket fence or the house that you think you should have. Because when you have the purpose, the possessions don't really matter. Purpose is better than plan. Amen. Okay. Well, let's get back. Let's go to our Bible text because I think that this story is about purpose. I really think it's about a woman who didn't know her purpose. And why she didn't know it is might, it might be why you don't know yours. In verse 10, it says Jesus was teaching on the, on the, on the Sabbath in the synagogue. By the way, how many think it would have been so cool to have been there while Jesus was preaching? Some of you, you get upset when I don't preach here. Could you imagine how upset people were when Jesus didn't show up? <laughs> like, like, seriously, I came all the way to synagogue this morning and Jesus isn't even here? <laughs> so he's, he's talking and this says, behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit, underline disabling, because that word is important, disabling. This is a two-part word, dis, diminish, and then abling, ability. Her ability was diminished, listen, spiritually. Spiritually. She had a disabling spirit. I, I, I can't stress this enough. 
Her physicality was the result of a broken spiritual life. And so she couldn't straighten herself up, the Bible says. And then verse 12, Jesus sees her, he calls her, he says to her, woman, you are, what? Underline freed, because he doesn't say healed. Healed would be if it was just a physical problem. Woman, you are healed. But he doesn't say healed, does he? Because he knows that what is on the outside is actually just the symptom of a problem that's going on on the inside. Are you with me so far? So you are freed from your disability. I want you to write this down. Jesus identified that her physical limitation was the result of a spiritual condition. And the same is true for millions of people on planet Earth today, maybe billions. Their physical limitation is the result of a spiritual condition. Later in the text, he's going to say, this woman whom Satan bound for 18 years, underline Satan bound. Satan had attacked this woman for 18 years with a spiritual mindset that produced a physical reality, a physical handicap. He says, of course, she determined she should be freed on the Sabbath day. Okay. <clears throat> the spiritual realm is what we need to identify in this text because that's where the battle is, is happening. E Ephesians 6.12, we've talked about in this series, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You think your problem is a, is a physical one. I wasn't born to the right family. Um, I have this condition. Um, I'm single. Uh, I'm divorced. Uh, I'm married or whatever. You know, your physical reality. And you have been focused so much on the physical, you don't understand that actually there's a spiritual condition that Jesus wants to address. Sometimes we can let the spiritual things start to create physical realities. I bet that's what happened for this woman. She came to church every week bent over. How many people would have said, oh, she's, just, she's got this issue with her spine or her back or whatever? And I love the fact that this text is written, shared to us uh, 2,000 years ago by who? By the, whose, whose, book are we, whose book are we in? Luke, and Luke, what was his profession? Does anybody know? He was a doctor, yeah, good. So he's a doctor, and he doesn't say, oh, well, she had, you know, whatever, and he could have, he could have listed the condition. He doesn't do that. He knows that Jesus came to do something that is deeper, that is truer than the physical reality. See, everything in this world that's broke, everything in this world that really hurts us and bothers us is really the, the fruit of a spiritual reality that we don't know, that we don't understand. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, he, he says, creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be what? Creation is bound by a spirit. A, what we talked about la last week's message came before this message on purpose because remember we said that Satan was cast out of heaven into this earth and he has bound this 
earth. He was, he was not supposed to have authority. Man was supposed to have authority. Adam and Eve um, uh, relinquished their authority and gave him authority, and he has done nothing but bind things on this planet into a life of futility. This is not just a reality for the human condition, it's a reality for the entire creation. Our world is not as it should be. And everybody who's had the flu said, amen. Because right now it's flu season, right? Then, it's, then what comes next? Weed season. Weeds on the ground, not the weed, okay? Those weeds. You, you pagans. I mean, that thought just came to me just now. So obviously you first service, second people, service, second service people needed to hear that. I don't know why. Landscaping season, okay? <laughs> then what comes after landscape season? Sunscreen season. And, and then landscape season again, and then flu season. And then the cycle repeats. So we are living in a world that is not as it should be. So everything that we experience, death, dis disease. Think about the word dis-ease. That's another two-part word, dis-ease. Your ease has been disquieted and discomforted. We know, even atheists know, this world is not as it should be. And the problem is not that we know it's not as it should be. The problem is that we don't know what to do with it. Or at least we misdiagnose it. Our problem on the physical is really spiritual. So I wonder here today who <clears throat> has allowed themselves to create a reality that God never intended for you because you refuse to let God deal with what's inside you and it handicaps what's outside you. Uh, I'll share a little bit of a personal story. For me, uh, I, I told you that I went on a cruise for this past New Year's Eve, and I was on there on New Year's Eve, and everybody makes a New Year's Eve resolution. But I think that God is interested in New Year's solutions. That was a good point right there. <laughs> he's not into resolutions, he's into solutions. Amen. Okay, so he spoke to me on the cruise, personally for me, um, on New Year's Eve, and he spoke to me, and, and, I, and, I, and I think it was, I know it was him because I would have never said this to myself, but he alerted me to a reality of, of something that I was starting to let get into my spirit, and it was the word hate. And I never realized this. Now, I'm not saying that I hate people or I hate anyone particularly, but I found, my, and the Lord told me, he said, you use that word, hate, all the time. And I would, and I said, you're right, I do. So like up here, when I wake up in the morning and it's like 40 degrees or 30 degrees, I say, I hate this cold. You know, or if I, or if I something on television upsets me or if I, somebody politically upset, I hate that. Hate, hate, hate. And it was coming out of my mouth all the time. The Lord challenged me. He said, why are you so consumed with what you hate? Because nothing's going to satisfy you. That's because you're not living with purpose. You're living according to plan. And I have realized this a couple of weeks ago when I went to Guatemala because on Gu when I was in Guatemala a couple of weeks ago, the temperature was 99 degrees. Guess what I said? It wasn't I hate this cold. 
Okay? And I realized that that was a spiritual condition that was affecting the physical reality of my life. Watch out for this. So, because this is, how I think, how the Lord, not the Lord, this is how the enemy gets us bent out of purpose. I want you to write this down. It's an it's a acronym, BENT, B-E-N-T. Blaming every natural thing for our limitations. Well, I could never do that because. And then before you know it, you hate that, or you say that, that you hate that, or you just identify with that. This is who I am. Who told you that? I said a couple of months ago in this, from this stage, some of you love to say, I have anxiety. Who told you to say that? Is that biblical? I'm not saying that anxiety is not real. I'm asking you, why do you keep telling yourself, I have it? I'm asking you to identify anxiety from scripture, from truth, from the words of Jesus himself, who said, don't be anxious for your life. Your father in heaven clothes the grass of the field and feeds the birds of the air. How much more will he take care of you? So Philippians chapter uh, four picks up on this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Make your request known to God and the peace of God which surpasses what you know, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The God of peace will be with you. You, you've got to identify with truth and not error. And every generation on the planet has always had a ton of spiritual error that the lion's share of the population has adopted as truth. And I think this is a big one for our current generation. Anxiety and depression. These are not physical realities. You understand that they have never isolated the anxious gene in the science room, like the laboratory. They have never put it under a microscope and said, see, there it is. It's wiggling because it's very anxious. Can't stay still. It is a spiritual problem. It is not a physical problem. But if you let it, the spiritual can affect the physical. Married people who are always finding fault, who are always naming what's wrong with them, You are letting your spirit determine the physical. You're letting what you think and allow in to come out in detrimental realities. You're you're bent out of purpose. You're limiting yourself because you have found fault with the natural rather than identify the problem in the spiritual. How many people have overcome the natural limitations through a spiritual mindset? Millions. They don't don't even have to be Christians. Some of the greatest accomplishments in history have been made by people who were of no account and did not have the knowledge and the understanding to do it. You know, Steve Jobs created Apple Computer. Apple Computer has taken the world by storm. It is one of the most successful computers in the history of humanity. Steve Jobs didn't even know how to code. He didn't even know how to type things into code. But he created it. He made it. Uh, Albert Einstein reshaped physics as we know it. He was, he was a patent clerk. He was no account. 
The, the, there's, there is something to be said, spiritual, I mean, Christian and non-Christian, you can let the physical limit you or you can let the spirit start to override what the physical tells you. I, I think in, in this region of the country, from Holland, Massachusetts, a, a family, the Hoyt family, uh, Rick and, and Dick Hoyt, who, who they had a son, Rick, had, uh, Dick had a son, Dick and his wife had a son named Rick, and he was born with a cerebral palsy because the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck in the womb. And he, and doctors said, institutionalize him. And they said, no, we're going to raise him like a normal child. And when he was um, seven, uh, 11 years old, uh, researchers from Boston University came and, and hooked up a computer to Rick so that he could speak to his parents for the very first time at 11 years old. So he could go to school. Ironically, the very first words from the computer from Rick's mind to his parents were two words, go Bruins. <laughs> Isn't that cool? <laughs> what a New Englander, right? And instead of choosing to let the physical limit them, they chose to let their spirits override the physical. And they got uh, involved in marathon racing. They've raced, uh, Dick will, uh, push Rick in a wheelchair, and you saw it in the video, through these marathons, they've run together in 72 marathons. I don't think in my entire life I've run 72 miles. <laughs> they haven't let what is physical limit their spiritual. Okay, they've, they've participated in six triathlons. They've touched the world because they don't let the physical determine the spiritual. They let the spiritual determine the physical. Are you with me? Yes. I think a, a, a great Christian example is Nick Vucevic, who was born without arms and legs. Uh, no arms, no legs. His parents, when they, when they handed this baby to the mother, to his mother, on, on the day of his birth, she didn't want to hold him. She thought, this is a gigantic mistake. But they were Christians, and they repented, and they, and they decided to, they determined that this is, okay, God's assignment. God's going to use this somehow. They raised him in the faith. He, he's a strong, mighty Christian. He preaches around the world. He does TED Talks. He inspires both Christians and non-Christians because guess what? The church is here to help both groups of people. He goes around the world and touches billions of lives, inspiring them by, with, a, with, a, with a theme, life without limbs. You don't have to let the physical determine the spiritual. These people eradicate the excuses that you can give yourself. Because as far as I can see, everybody's got four, four limbs so far. We, we have got to start learning, though, that there is a spiritual realm that is under attack. Such as for this woman, there is a spiritual condition, a disabling spirit. And every day... Every week, she came to church. And, and the church system didn't heal her. She needed to meet Jesus. I hope you hear me. You can go to church your whole life and not meet Jesus. Especially here in New England. Because the system might not actually show you the person. This is not a system. Christianity is not a lifestyle. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is following and believing in and meeting a person. Yeah. 
the person of the Lord Jesus. Do you know him? Because if you know him, he has the power in his words to speak to your spirit and affect your physical life. C.S. Lewis famously said, I came to Christianity looking for a, a program and I found a person. I've always loved that line. So three things from Jesus. Number one, Jesus came to set me free from Satan's lie that there's no point to my life. Why don't you just end it? Why don't you just, this is it. This, you're, this is who you are, accept it. Really? Where does that come from? Jesus wants to set you free from that disabling spirit that has gotten into you, that has lied to you, maybe for 18 plus years. Maybe you've just picked it up from someone else. You've heard someone else say it to you so many times. You've, you've decided unconsciously or subconsciously, you've decided to adopt it. Maybe you, it came from your parents. Maybe it came from an older brother. Someone always told you this is who you are. Well, have you checked that out against the truth of God's word? Because the scriptures tell us who we really are. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Made in the image of God. Uh, created to bring glory to our creator who is in heaven. And then if we are adopted into the family, we now are, are children of God. Heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. Meaning what he gets, we get. Royal priests. Holy nation, chosen generation, a peculiar people, a people called out of darkness and brought into his marvelous light that we might proclaim his glory. Purpose. You have a purpose. It doesn't matter what physical limitation that you have been handed or been told your whole life through the Lord Jesus Christ, you can hear his word and be set free from whatever disabling spirit has taken hold of your spirit so that you can reflect his glory no matter what obstacle comes against you. Yes. But it, it starts with meeting Jesus. Luke is very intentional in his wording from verses 12 to verse 16. That it says, Jesus saw her, he called her, he said to her, he declared, you are free. And then he identified her. Well, first he laid his hands on her and then he identified her as a daughter of Abraham. Underline, daughter of Abraham. There's only two people in the entire gospels that are referred to, well, there's three, that are referred to as sons or daughters of Abraham. One of those people is Jesus. In Matthew 1.1, the very first words of the New Testament, uh, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The other person is a man. His name is Zacchaeus. He was a vile tax collector, hated by the religious establishment. And Jesus comes to his house and says, this guy's got a purpose. He's the son of Abraham. And the only other person in the entire gospels who are referred to by Jesus as a son or daughter of Abraham is this woman whom Satan bound. And, and I think just kept her in chains through spiritual attack. And one word from Jesus sets her free. Okay, daughter of Abraham is significant because Abraham is the father of faith, but he's actually also the father of purpose. Because God doesn't just call Abraham to bless him, he actually calls him to bless him for a purpose. It's in Genesis chapter 12. Look with me in verse two to three. This is God's promise to Abraham, don't miss it. I will make you a great nation. 
I will bless you. I will make your name great. Reputation, character. So that, underline so that, circle, so that. Purpose. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever dishonors you, I will curse. And through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Through you. God never blesses just so that you are happy to be blessed. He always blesses so that people beyond you can be blessed through you. This is why you got to come to team night. This is why you got to start getting involved in small group. This is why some of you, the best thing you could do is go to growth track, our classes that are held every week. Once a month. Okay. And find out how to get involved and use your gifts so that the blessing that comes to you starts to flow through you. I understand what it feels like when you aren't yet active. Because here's the lie. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not Christian enough. You're not spiritual enough. All those other people that are serving every week, they know Jesus much more than you. Or how about this one? You're too busy. You got too many things in your plate right now. Why add this? Because this is the hope of the world. This is the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. And my question to you is, what are you doing in the spiritual realm to help us make Jesus known so that the families of the earth can be blessed through the blessing of Abraham, experienced through the son of Abraham, Jesus Christ? I want you to write down, Jesus restored this woman to her inborn purpose. She was born to be a daughter of Abraham. But Satan lied to her for 18 years, and she started to believe it so much so that it actually manifested itself in the physical realm. Her original inborn purpose was to be a blessing to the nations. Now you think about this. Here we are in February of 2020, 2020 years separated from her story in today. And hardly any of us are Jews in this room today. Some of us are, but hardly any of us. And she, her story from 2,000 years ago is a blessing to us today. Amen? Amen. She got her purpose. She got her purpose back through one encounter with Jesus. Number two, Jesus came to defend my God-given purpose. So what I love, I almost like point two better than point one. Because we all understand that we can come into purpose through Jesus, but a lot of us don't understand he's also the one that protects you and guards you along the way. Because the devil's going to come at you even after you're a Christian. Amen? Amen. Some, of, some of you are under the false impression that Satan's like, oh, I give up on that guy. He's a Christian now. Uh-uh. He actually comes ramped up with, with advanced artillery. Do you know why? Because what used to get you before you were in Christ doesn't attack you anymore, doesn't get through to you anymore. You know who you are. So he comes back at you with greater threats and different lies to distract you and to disorient you. And you've got to keep your guard up, but you have to understand also that Jesus will be right there with you, helping you raise up the spirit of faith so that you can stand against him and stand in your purpose. So here's what happens for this woman. Immediately she gets healed and, and this jerk, 
the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because he had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, my, by the way, he says to the people, not to Jesus, do you know why he doesn't confront Jesus? Because he's a wuss. <laughs> he says, oh, there's six, days, there's six days on which to work. The religious guy, religion can destroy your purpose. If you think that it's just about coming to church and listening to me speak and listening to the songs once a week, that's not your purpose. This hopefully helps you live your purpose. You know where your purpose starts? Outside those doors. That's why we have three big words on the wall. What are they? Be the church. This is not the church. This, is a, this actually used to be a jewelry manufacturing plant. So this is not a church. I love the fact that it doesn't look like a church. There's no steeple, right? There's no bell tower. And the ceiling is, the roof is flat. <laughs> okay, so it's a good thing because it teaches us, this isn't the church, you're the church. At the end of the service, the church shall leave the building. Okay, and you go out to your purpose, but you're gonna get attacked. You're gonna get attacked. And I think about their attack is, uh, don't get healed here. What? That's what it's for, to get healed here so that you can go out there and be strong. And then Jesus, I love it, verse 15, you hypocrites. And then he makes a, an argument from lesser to greater. He says, don't you untie your ox and your donkey to give them water <clears throat> on the Sabbath? You do this for your animals. You don't do this for people. Isn't it amazing that we live in a culture in which animals have become more precious to us than people as well? Yeah. I never understood this because I was the original anti-pet guy. Some of you remember this. I prided myself as the anti-pet pastor. I used to tell you, don't have dogs, let them run free and eat cats as God intended. <laughs> the problem is I got three kids and a wife and they wanted me to get a dog. So I ended up with two dogs, now we're down to one dog. Long story, I'll tell you later. This little dog has become my baby. She comes to me as soon as I come home. You know, I, I know why we love dogs, because we're narcissists. And no matter how you treat them, they love you. They don't just love you, they think you're the best thing that ever happened to them. So you come home and they're just like, ah, oh my gosh, you're home, you! No wonder why we love these things more than people. Because if you do something wrong to people, you have to apologize, you have to confess, you have to say, I'm sorry, you have to do all this, you have to work for it. A dog, you can say, get out of here. One minute, and then two minutes later, you'll be like, hi, and you'll be like, ah, you want to talk to me again? Oh! So I come home from work, and my dog is at the door just waiting, waiting for me. Oh, you're here again. And I'm like, oh, you're the baby. I do this. You're my darling, oh my little baby. You said, I've turned into one of these people. My, my wife says, why don't you do that to me when you come home? So I said, I'll make a deal with you. When I come home, you show up at the door naked, wagging your backside and see what happens. She hasn't taken me up on that offer yet. 
Don't tell her I said that. See, Jesus, Jesus, under, Jesus knows that this woman is far more valuable than animals. He's not attacking caring for animals, but he is definitely attacking not caring for people. Jesus, and write this down, Jesus doesn't just give us purpose, he protects it. It is his MO for his people. I am a firm believer that it is not just Jesus who gets us in the door of faith. He's also the one that closes it, bolts it, locks it, and stands at the door and guards it so that we don't get out. I didn't come to faith on my own. He worked through people to bring me to himself. Now, would he go through all that trouble just to like kick me out if I do enough things wrong? But some of you are under that anxious assumption. You, you need to root yourself in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when the devil comes and tells you, you went too far this week, you did too much this week, you didn't do it right this week, you don't got the right spirit this week, you need to stand in faith and tell him he's a liar. And you know that the God who called you is the one who's going to complete you. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. You want a verse? You want a verse for this? First Thessalonians chapter 5, 23 says, Now may the God of peace, this was our theme, this was our memory verse um, for the fast, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Completely. And may your whole soul, body, and spirit be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The God who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. He who calls you is faithful. Even when you're not faithful, he will surely do it. So he says this thing, verse 17, it says, And he put all his enemies to shame. He put the negative, negative voices to shame. He'll do the same for you. But you got to keep coming. You got to keep hearing. You got to listen. Because if you don't listen, you'll fall into the disabling spirits. And your purpose will be unhinged. Your purpose will be handicapped. I come to the word so that I can be healed again. I come to the word so that I can be strengthened when I'm weak. It has been my saving grace throughout my life to study the scriptures, not just for you in this moment on Sunday, but for myself personally. I've been going through 1 Kings uh, this year. 1 Kings was my biblical emphasis this year, and I've been going through it. It's not a very happy book. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of immorality, a lot of bad kings. But I get to this point where Elijah, Elijah has the showdown on Mount Carmel. He has this, um, this incredible you know, victory. And then the next chapter, he's running for his life from Jezebel. He goes from hero to zero in one verse. And he wants to die. And he tells God, take my life. He wanted to commit suicide. Some of God's best prophets were there. The word of the Lord comes to him, not in thunderous, mountain-shaking fire, but in a still, small whisper. And the Lord showed me something there. You can only hear someone's whisper when they're close to you. God didn't run from Elijah as Elijah ran from his purpose. God drew closer. Some of you, that's what you need to hear today. He doesn't give up on you as you run. He comes closer to you. It is um, what C.S. Lewis says is, uh, that, that, that God whispers to us on the mountaintops when we're at the top of our lives. He whispers, kind of the opposite of what happens to Elijah, but he shouts to us in our pain. He's telling us, I'm still here. I'm still here, even when you think I've given up or you've given up. 
Third, Jesus came to expand the vision of our God-given purpose. This is some of your problem because you don't think it's big enough. You don't realize how big it actually is. It's world-changing. Your faith is world-changing. So Jesus says in verse 18, he said, therefore. Now, underline therefore because the therefore is there for this reason. To tie what just happened to her to what he's about to describe concerning the kingdom of God. He said, therefore, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and it became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in his branches. What is that about? What is that about, Jesus? Well, Jesus knows the Old Testament. He's actually picking up on a passage from Ezekiel 31, and I'll get there in a moment. But he talks about the mustard seed. The mustard seed, smallest of all garden plants. Now, this is an interesting little factoid about the mustard seed in Jesus' time. The mustard seed did exactly what Jesus said. It grew so invasively in a garden that it literally overtook the garden. So in the Mishnah, which is the second most important book in Judaism, the Mishnah interprets the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. In the Mishnah, there's a law that you're not allowed to plant a mustard seed in your garden in the vicinity of Jerusalem. Why? Because it became so overwhelming to gardens, it would shade everybody else's gardens. And so they put a law on the book saying, no mustard seeds because it takes over. Jesus says that's exactly what the kingdom of God is like. It's rejected by the authorities. It's rejected by the religion. Even the religious people think, get out of here. In other words, go be healed on another day, not the Sabbath. The rejected seed gets planted and it becomes an unstoppable force. So Jesus is picking up on this terminology from Ezekiel chapter 31, where Ezekiel the prophet describes Assyria. And it says Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon with beautiful branches in its shade. And it says it towered high above all the trees of the field and all the birds. This is the language that Jesus is using. The birds of the heavens made their nests in his bows. Under his branches, all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young. And under its shadow lived all great, what? nations. What's the promise of Abraham? Your seed, your blessing shall bless the nations. What's your point here? Why are you here today? You are here to bless the nations. That's why we're going to Guatemala. That's why we're going to India with uh, more missions with Mana missions. That's why we are in El Salvador uh, sponsoring children through Compassion International. That's why we're in our backyard at Providence Rescue Mission. That's why we ask you to serve right here so that we can bless the nations. And the birds of the fields can benefit from the fact that the church is here, it's still alive, it's still awakened to their purpose to bring people back to God. So this little mustard seed moment in this woman's life has touched untold numbers of people as the Bible has scattered across the world in 3,000 different languages to 2,000 different people groups throughout human history. Her story is still going forward today because one moment with Jesus can straighten up your life and give you an earth-shaking purpose. Write this down. When Jesus sets you free from Satan's lies, your life will have an unstoppable impact in history. I'm so glad for the people who helped raise me in the faith, people you've never heard, you've never heard of, they'll never speak on this stage, but they spoke into my ear and the seed went down 
and bore fruit. They were Sunday school teachers. They were children's church workers. They were people of no account in the world whose fame is sealed in heaven. That's why we want you to start participating. That's why we want you to start getting involved. Because you never know what happens when you give your heart to Jesus.